This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. Uh, They've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments. Maybe some patch chords. Cool. You're listening to KZOM. Olean Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, T.B. Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZON. Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History by Alan H. Godby. Chapter 18. Relief Measures. Abu Ben Adam, may his tribe increase awoke one night from a deep dream of peace and saw within the moonlight of his room making it rich and like a lily in bloom an angel writing in a book of gold exceeding peace had made ben adam bold and to the presence in the room he said what writest thou the vision raised its head and with a look made all of sweet accord answered the names of those who love the lord and is mine one said abu nay not so replied the angel abu spoke more low but cheerily still and said i pray thee then write me as one who loves his fellow men the angel wrote and vanished the next night it came again with a great wakening light and showed the names of whom love of god had blessed and lo ben adam's name led all the rest It goes without saying that the destitution and suffering occasioned by the flood were fearful. Everywhere might be seen hundreds of sad-eyed, disconsolate, almost famished creatures groping about the wreck, almost unconscious of present necessities by reason of present woe. Scores were compelled to drag their precious dead from the wreck and bury them with their own hands, a trying task. Other scores found never a trace of many whom they sought. Hundreds of telegrams of anxious inquiries will never be answered. The pressing necessities of the hungry people soon drove many to seek escape from the place, yet all railroads were damaged, and in Johnstown itself one could hardly get about the streets. 
a stranger described it as it appeared on june first johnstown proper was partly a lake partly several small streams partly a vast sandy plain and partly clusters of more or less ruined houses around among between inside and on top of these houses wherever the rushing torrent had been checked were piled masses of wreckage trunks of mighty trees household furniture houses whole and in fragments bridges locomotives and railroad cars hundreds of tons of mud and gravel thickly strewn through it all were hundreds of corpses and carcasses the only communication between this section and the pennsylvania railroad and the village of peelerville on the north and kernville on the south was across swollen torrents in skiffs which required constant bailing to keep them above water from the stone bridge of the pennsylvania road for a distance of half a mile no river could be seen simply a dense mass of drift from twenty to fifty feet deep apparently inextricable bound together with miles of wire here blazing and there smouldering and enveloping the bridge in a cloud of nauseating vapor and smoke giving unmistakable evidence of the presence of burning flesh not a thoroughfare was passable for a team and very few for a horse locomotion was difficult the mud was deep the streets obscured often to the roofs of houses the rain was incessant how poor how rich how abject how august how complicate how wonderful is man how passing wonder he who made him such who centred in our make such strange extremes from different natures marvellously mixed the flood quickly called forth the best and worst exhibitions of human nature we shall mention first the evil as a background against which the good may stand more conspicuous we believe that to most men it will be simply incomprehensible that anybody should think of adding so much as the weight of a hair to the calamities of johnstown as they were seen on the morning of that first day of june ghouls were quick to enter snatching from the living robbing the bodies of the dead johnstown doubtless had her complement of thieves and these were steadily reinforced by many more crooks and jailbirds pickpockets and burglars from cities like baltimore philadelphia and pittsburgh for where the carcass is there will the eagles be gathered together residents guarding silverware and other valuables were in some instances overpowered in broad daylight and their goods taken away before their very eyes these crimes were diligently laid at the door of the hungarians but better knowledge acquitted them of the charge and proved that they were not more guilty than others the american accustomed by republican training to regard himself as the chief source of law is never slow to take things into his own hands in cases of extremity we are told that a few of these ghouls were summarily dealt with and under the circumstances the most conservative find it is hard to condemn the grief-crazed men one correspondent asked deputy sheriff chawl dick if the reports of summary execution were true chawl replied slowly there are some men whom their friends will never again see alive well now how many did you shoot was the next question say said chaw on saturday morning i was the first to make my way to sang hollow to see if i could not get some food for people made homeless by the flood there was a carload of provisions there but the vandals were on hand they broke into the car and in spite of my protestations carried off box after box of supplies i only got half a wagon load there were too many for me i know when i have no show there was no show there and i got out 
as i was leaving sang hollow and got up the mountain road a piece i saw two hungarians and one woman engaged in cutting the fingers off of a corpse to get some rings well i got off that team and well there are three people who were not drowned and who are not alive where are the bodies ain't the river handy there another form of robber appeared in the relic hunter he is a phenomenon inexplicable at least to the writer of these pages why men should think to chip off pieces of the washington monument or from lincoln's coffin or from the granite sarcophagus in the great pyramid and carry them home and put them in a cabinet and call people to admire them without thereby simply advertising themselves as vandals passes comprehension why a chip from johnstown should be better than the same kind of a chip from any other place no man can tell but the world has always had a good stock and store of these kind of fools well described by our neglected and forgotten poet robert pollock as men who roamed about the world searching for pieces of old pottery and the like and wondered why shells were found upon mountain tops and wondered not at that more wondrous still why shells were found at all these relic hunters commonly of genteel appearance were in force at johnstown picking up knives forks silver spoons communion vessels anything they could call fools like themselves to gape at because it came from johnstown and sometimes judiciously preferring as mementos the things that were of greater value there were professional thieves who entered the morgues and identified with expressions of sorrow their dear departed dead strangers never seen before in order that they might secure the valuables found on their persons there were others who offered their services for the recovery of the dead and who were placed upon the details sent out for that purpose and plundered many corpses before the arrival of man's detectives pointed them out as the worst of thieves and robbers besides these there were sleek scoundrels too base and black for respectability even in the pit who approached weeping orphaned beautiful young girls with alluring offers of jewelry and fine clothes and delightful homes in great cities their object has no need to be stated it is pleasant to turn from these few ghoulish and degraded human reptiles to the mighty army of noblemen and women who succored johnstown the story of the help rendered how much by whom and in what ways cannot be detailed in this place it will be enough to give a brief and general statement while for full particulars even to the long list of the dead known and unknown the reader must be referred to dr beale's most interesting book the faults and evils of government have been conspicuous since man was upon the earth the contemplation of these has turned some shallow-brained people into anarchists who think the ideal state of the race must be one in which there is no government at all there was no government in johnstown while the flood was sweeping it away all human laws were then suspended for there was no human power that could enforce them it is curious and instructive in a condition of complete anarchy to note the spontaneous movements toward organized government movements simply evoked by the popular need government was introduced into alma hall almost before the sun had set on that dreadful day two hundred and sixty-four men women and children from varying directions clambering out of the debris had been gathered there they were wretched enough already but disorder would only add to their woes and for the sake of order and to feel that the strongest and wisest were at the helm they were ready to submit themselves to command accordingly a meeting was at once called on the stairway to elect a director to control the whole building and one of the stories and two subordinates to take charge of the other two stories 
orders were at once issued that there should be no lights, lest the escaping natural gas should explode, and that all persons having spirituous liquors should surrender them to the directors. These orders were cheerfully obeyed. As this company was wending its mournful way the next morning to Adam Street, Dr. Beale saw a man taking some valuables and ordered him to put them down. With this hint as to the capabilities of bad men, he sent a boy a little later to the nearest telegraph station with a message to Governor Beaver to send the military. The response came soon in the presence of the National Guard, the services of whose officers and men were, in almost every way, of inestimable value. But the necessity for government was instant, and could not await the coming of a National Guard. The community called Johnstown consisted of seven straggling boroughs, each with its own officers. Some of these were dead, all were scattered and paralyzed, while furthermore the common calamity demanded common action, and this called for a single government instead of seven. Accordingly, before the sun was high in the heavens on that first day of June, government had been organized. According to our Declaration of Independence, it must have been a lawful government, for it had for its basis the consent of the governed. But it was not a republican government. It was an absolute monarchy. Charles L. Dick, Esquire, was elected generalissimo to direct all matters according to his will. The best government in the world, if always there were a wise and good man at the head. For the wisdom of one man is better than the folly of a multitude. It makes one proud of his race as he watches the stricken community in the midst of overwhelming sorrow and loss, taking action immediately for preservation and recovery. Barbarians would not have done it. Asiatics would not have done it. Nor would anybody else have done it so quickly and so well as Anglo-Saxon, English-speaking Republicans, full of energy, resource, and indomitable courage, and habituated to the idea of a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Avoiding details, let us see in brief what was done. Within 18 hours after the flood, there was a force of 300 qualified policemen guarding the vaults of the First National and Dilbert's banks and patrolling the town. A few were armed with shotguns, the most with baseball clubs extracted from a wrecked store. The size of their batons was an indication that they were not on dress parade, but were equipped for war. Committees were quickly appointed on finances, on supplies, on morgues, on the removal of dead animals and debris, on police, on hospitals, and these committees entered on their respective duties without an hour's delay. Farmers and others were now crowding to behold the ruin, and there were many with hearts to sympathize and hands to aid. Dr. William Cadwell, one of the oldest and best-known merchants in the place, met the wandering comers and engaged many of them for service in the removal of the wreckage and the recovery of the dead. Details were at once constituted and sent forth under proper leaders for these purposes. Within a brief while, Charles Zimmerman had removed more than 200 dead animals, and Thomas L. Johnston, his assistant committeeman, one of the owners of the great plant at Moxham, had made visible progress in clearing the streets of debris. A crying and instant need was a hospital. Before the flood, there was only one hospital in Johnstown. This was built by the Cambria Iron Company for the use of their own men. This hospital was now almost instantly filled and running over. But before sunset on this memorable Saturday, June 1st, the committee had opened another. Telephonic communication was broken, but a boy was sent on horseback to Shoyestown with a message to Pittsburgh for hospital equipments, cots, mattresses, pillows, medicines, and other necessities, and such was the energy of all concerned that by two o'clock on Sunday, less than twenty-four hours from the sending of the message, the equipment was in Johnstown. 
at that time every bench and counter and even the floor was crowded with the sick and wounded from all parts of the city it is impossible to describe the varied movements of that dreadful day there was little shelter and less food death was everywhere and some doubtless imprisoned in heaps of wreck and not yet dead but dying of wounds or of cold and exhaustion the first patient in the bedford street hospital had been taken up presumably dead and carried to the morgue where he was found to be yet alive was removed to the hospital and died of congestion the next day the claims of the dead and of the living seemed to be equally urgent many of the living for food and shelter pushed to the country the farmers receiving them with open doors they sent wagon loads of provisions to the valley of death the dairymen came with milk and distributed it freely but what was this among so many it is needless to say that the flood even where buildings had escaped a wreck had overflowed cellars and lower stories and destroyed or badly damaged almost everything eatable in the city not a few of those who survived the flood are notable for their untiring and abundant labors it was no time for perpetuating sectarian differences dr beale pays a warm tribute to father davin a catholic priest who stood at his post laboring with superhuman energy though constantly urged to take even a short rest but he could not rest in view of so much misery he and dr beale turned their respective churches into morgues and labored like heroes incessantly father davin's health gave way under the terrible strain and he finally went to the mountains but it was too late he died of overwork and exhaustion nor must the work of that much abused fraternity the newspaper reporters be forgotten none but reporters can appreciate the difficulties under which those men worked and one a pale earnest sympathetic little philadelphian toiled on till his health failed he died at the seashore whither he had gone to recuperate these men we must thank for the prompt and full reports sent throughout the country stirring it to prompt and energetic measures of relief the advantages of christian over asiatic civilization are never more apparent than when the calamity of some calls for sympathy and help of all the rest then in an hour the news is borne to every city and hamlet in a broad continent in another hour the press has thrown it off in millions of sheets and every street is vocal with the cry of the newsboy proclaiming the disaster millions of hearts are throbbing with sympathy voices from opposite sides of great cities are talking to each other over the telephone a meeting is called and quickly assembled counsel is taken performance is prompt and before the day is done the railroad train bearing the necessary forms of aid is flying with the speed of the wind to the relief of the sufferers not often even in a christian land has relief been so prompt or so bountiful as it was to johnstown pittsburgh read the news in the papers of saturday morning the mayor called a meeting for one o'clock it was crowded to overflowing for the interest was intense a committee was appointed and began work instantly by four o'clock nearly twenty cars were ready seventy volunteer aides were on board all that could be taken and the train was flying toward johnstown at ten thirty p m sang hollow four miles from the scene of death was reached here three-quarters of a mile of track had been washed entirely away and the train stopped but the men from pittsburgh stopped not they sprang out and trip after trip through the mud and dark in the use of hands and shoulders they bore onward their precious burdens of food for the starving brothers and sisters long before daylight the installment of provisions a carload and a half was deposited at the stone bridge further than this it was impossible to go the flood had broken the embankment beyond the bridge and a furious river a hundred feet wide was sweeping through 
but while these valiant relievers were struggling forward under boxes and parcels the railroad management was working a veritable miracle men and materials were placed on the ground the grade was restored the track was laid and at seven o'clock the next morning the train was quietly standing at the stone bridge was ever human energy more conspicuous or in a better cause some corporations must have souls at least the pennsylvania railroad for this triumph was simulated not by self-interest but by the interests of thousands dead or ready to perish and it was general superintendent pitcairn of the pennsylvania railroad who moved the mayor to call the pittsburgh meeting the baltimore and ohio road also signaled its achievements and generosity by monday morning it had entered the south side of johnstone bringing relief or exit to the suffering people superintendent patton called on the villages and towns along the road to load as many cars as they pleased and they would be transported to johnstown without charge the services of both the baltimore and ohio and the pennsylvania railroads were of inestimable value and from first to last in a spirit of true philanthropy they cooperated with the efforts for the relief of a stricken people the labors of the pittsburgh committee knew no pause nor rest for ten days until the state whose duty it was in so great a calamity stepped in and through the flood commission took hold and continued the work even then their labors did not cease but were continued in hearty cooperation with the officials appointed by the state during those ten days from the first of june to the eleventh they had placed in the field under the most efficient management between six thousand and seven thousand laborers they had supplied a population of about thirty thousand people with food they had looked after sanitation and hospitals and morgues they had accomplished much in the way of opening the streets and clearing the properties of filth and debris deposited by the flood they had been the ministers not only of the charities of the twin cities allegheny and pittsburgh but of other and more distant cities these recognizing the integrity and efficiency of the pittsburgh committee directed their benefactions to them with the request that they would control their administration a total of eight hundred and thirty one thousand two hundred and ninety five dollars passed into their hands of this five hundred and sixty thousand dollars was turned over to the flood commission the balance having been expended by themselves of this total two hundred and fifty thousand seven hundred and seventy dollars was contributed by the cities of pittsburgh and allegheny in the ladies committee pittsburgh developed another agency that was vastly beneficial established in the rooms of the second presbyterian church they began work on the fourth of june and their doors thereafter were open day and night a special committee was always on duty and waiting to receive every train both of the baltimore and ohio and the pennsylvania roads these brought scores and hundreds of refugees who had lost everything who did not doubt that in pittsburgh at the hands of people they had never seen they would receive sympathy and aid they were met at the depots conducted to the rooms of the committee fed and clothed and sent to comfortable quarters till they could see a way to provide for themselves many were seeking homes in the country or cities beyond and the railways generously furnished free transportation to all who were certified by the ladies committee situations were procured for many and many fragments of families seeking permanent homes in pittsburgh were aided even to the anticipation of their winter supplies philadelphia has long been an example to other cities in that it has had a permanent committee of relief ever ready with men and means to answer the call of some unusual distress at the announcement of the great calamity this committee was at once summoned by the mayor r m mcwade city editor of the public ledger a gentleman who had raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars and sped with it to charleston south carolina at the time of the earthquake 
was present and at once moved the appropriation of five thousand dollars saying that when the facts should become known ten times the sum would be required others did not wait for organized effort but hastened with medicines surgical instruments shoes and carloads of prepared food bread butter bacon cheese coffee to the field of disaster personal contributions were many and liberal on the eleventh of june the committee placed five hundred thousand dollars subject to the order of governor beaver as late as the fourth of august the committee was induced through dr pancoast to appropriate ten thousand dollars to the red cross hospital at johnstown philadelphia is truly a city of brotherly love newsboys and bootblacks anxiously offered their mites and in the penitentiary hundreds of convicts gave eagerly of the hard-earned pennies gained by working extra time till the warden placed a limit upon the amount each might give the total contributions of philadelphia amounted to nearly eight hundred thousand dollars new york went promptly to work on the second of june the churches beginning monday the third liberal contributions were placed in the hands of a committee by individuals and corporations the poor or bad boys in the charity and reform schools were an example to many for they of their punery cast in all that they had the boys in the house of refuge on randall's island gave two hundred fifty eight dollars and twenty two cents perhaps such lads may be yet worth saving the total amount contributed by the city of new york was very close to one million dollars boston gave upwards of five hundred thousand dollars chicago about two hundred thousand dollars baltimore gave liberally and received and cared for a multitude of refugees fifteen hundred rendered homeless by floods at johnstown and elsewhere arrived in baltimore in one day we may not detail further the reader who desires the fullest account of what was done and how and by whom must be referred to dr beale's most interesting book it may suffice in this place to say that contributions were forwarded not only from the principal cities and from every state in the union but from foreign countries ireland sent eighteen thousand two hundred and fifty two dollars and twenty one cents england thirty three thousand one hundred and fifty eight dollars and thirty six cents canada four thousand four hundred and fifty four dollars and sixty four cents mexico one hundred and thirty dollars and forty cents turkey eight hundred and seventy six dollars and fifty seven cents italy nine dollars and forty six cents austria four hundred and eighty one dollars and seventy cents germany thirty four thousand one hundred and ninety nine dollars and thirty six cents prussia one hundred dollars wales sixty eight dollars and sixty cents saxony two thousand six hundred and thirty seven dollars and twenty cents persia fifty dollars france twenty four thousand five hundred and eleven dollars and thirteen cents australia one thousand two hundred and fifty one dollars and twelve cents total one hundred and twenty thousand one hundred and eighty seven dollars and seventy nine cents these figures prove that there are men everywhere who love their fellow men and that the whole world is of kin the total loss in conemaugh valley was between eight million and nine million dollars the total bestowment about three million dollars the loss of life is estimated variously from four thousand to ten thousand it will never be definitely known the aid of the sympathetic public was it charity no it was duty i owe to help my fellow man in distress just as much as i owe to pay my debts and sometimes more mercy is due to men no less than justice if any man seeth his brother have need and shutteth up the bowels of his compassion against him how dwelleth the love of god in him we might add how dwelleth the love of man in him he that does not love his fellow men is not entitled to a place among them any more than fleas or serpents are entitled to a place in human beds that man may last but never lives
who all receives but nothing gives whom none can love whom none can thank creation's blot creation's blank end of chapter 18 hey everyone it's me db new sponsor on the show clary clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers are you looking for good prices free shipping 100 percent quality guarantee clary's got you covered guitars bass guitars mandolins they've got saxophones trumpets drums they've got guitar cases amplifiers all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap check out the show notes to find more about glary 20 watt amplifiers for under 50 dollars hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Tell your ma, tell your pa, I'll ship you down to South Agua. You can buy that shirt now, it's in the shop. Uh, link in the show notes. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History by Alan H. Godby Chapter 19 Famine and Pestilence Then, see those million worlds which burn and roll around us, their inhabitants beheld, my spherid light wave in wide heaven. 
the sea was lifted by strange tempests and new fire from earthquake rifted mountains of bright snow shook its portentous hair beneath heaven's frowns lightning and inundation vexed the plains blue thistles bloomed in cities foodless toads within voluptuous chambers panting crawled when plague had fallen on man and beast and worm and famine and black blight on herb and tree and the thin air my breath was stained with the contagion of a mother's hate breathed on her child's destroyer signs and wonders grave omens strange portents have by the ignorant and superstitious been believed to precede and presage the approach of famine and pestilence Comets have terrified the multitudes, the rabble has quailed at the aurora, and blanched with fear at the sight of colored rain and snow. And yet nothing is clearer than that famine is the result of the simplest meteorological causes. A deficiency in rainfall is sufficient cause, is almost the only cause. Elsewhere we have noted how dependent we are upon the winds and clouds, and we need spend no further explanation of their causes and variations owing to the decidedly local character of our own rains the probability of a general famine in this country is very slight though local droughts are of continual occurrence europe has been affected with serious famines at various periods but the greatest harvest of death has been in oriental lands during the present century there have been two or three severe famines in asia minor the last but two or three years since but it is in India and China, with their overcrowded populations and lack of facilities for intercommunication, that famine becomes most terrible in its ravages. The story of one is that of another. A deficient rainfall, a failure of the rice crop, a multitude eating grass, dead leaves, straw, offal, millions starving. As these lines are written, come reports of great dearth in some provinces in Japan. One of the best-known famines of recent date is the Great Bengal Famine of 1866. When the rice crop failed, the British government at once used every possible means to facilitate the importation of rice and established large systems of public works that the people might earn money wherewith to buy. Yet it was but the chief of many great employees. Great companies pushed great projects. The customary wages remained steady, but rice had trebled in price. Hence, even by doing double work, the people could not procure their usual food, and no allowance had been made for the scores of isolated villages where the news of relief measures penetrated not. So the employed grew weaker continually, and less able to labor and earn. Those unemployed perished by hundreds. Private charity supported thousands, for the Hindu dreads the beggar's curse as much as the loss of caste. The women added their labors to those of the laboring husbands, but this did not suffice to support the weakening families. Then, government charity was broached, but it was at once seen that efforts in this direction would cause the cessation of individual charity. Every village looks after its own poor. Every noble family continues to dispense alms, even when every vestige of wealth and greatness is gone. It would not do to take steps that might instantly suspend this work. Yet the famished crowds grew daily greater, and the residents of the European quarter of Calcutta were horrified by the influx of thousands of squalid creatures in the last extremity of hunger. At this crisis another factor came into play. 
every pious hindu merchant writes at the top of his day-book each day the name of the divinity whose favor he courts and immense sums even millions of dollars are spent in the annual celebration in honor of kali the especial favorite of bengal a wealthy and humane hindu merchant suggested that kali would be better pleased if her celebration fund were used to relieve her starving worshippers the idea became popular at once and the fund promptly swelled by the exigencies of the case added greatly in the relief of the destitute when we remember that kali is a fiend incarnate who delights in human blood and wears a necklace of skulls we can but consider the suggestion of the pious merchant as savoring of the ludicrous another objection to government charity was in the fact that the government could only hope to establish a few great central depots again the hindu does not discriminate between the professional beggars fakirs hermits yogis and those who we consider more deserving and such discrimination as it was certain the government would make would only render it odious and probably cause grave disturbances so the government lost three weeks when it should have been actively at work meanwhile english residents were spending liberally their means in private relief depots the government found its way out by making quietly large grants to the private relief committees established but it was two or three months ere the best scheme was adopted rice could be imported in abundance how to place it within the purchasing power of the people was the problem the government turned merchant and established depots where the laborer could buy at a price within his means but while placing the market rate within reach of the needy one-third the rate for the remainder must not be disturbed or the merchants would be antagonized it was easily accomplished the market was opened but a short time each day and the respectable hindu would never expose himself or his family to be jostled by the hungry labor-stained multitude that at once thronged the places and public opinion all-powerful in little bengali towns strongly condemned anyone who without good reason bought at the relief depots by june everyone was anxious to know if the rains would come and ensure the september crops there are two rice harvests each year thousands of sacrifices were offered and sometimes human beings were offered but the rains came and the fall brought abundant crops the total loss of life was about one million two hundred and fifty thousand of whom one-fourth starved outright while the remainder perished from disease and pestilence resulting from the scarcity of food a famine in the same region in seventeen sixty nine carried off six million but then the government did nothing and after the scourge immense tracts of cultivated land returned to their original wilderness the reverse was the result in 1866. The methodical work of the government and the great corporations left the land far more improved than ever before. With the increasing facilities for communication and transportation, a repetition of the disaster even of 1866 is almost impossible, certainly beyond probability. We may not go into details of scores of famines, ancient and modern. We have selected this one, showing how, even in adverse circumstances, prompt work lessens the ravages of the destroyer. Judging from the percentage of 1769, the loss of life in 1866 would, but for the relief work, have been about nine million, one-third the population of Bengal. The only other calamity in recent years at all comparable is the terrible famine of 1876 in China. How many perished then may not definitely be known, but it has been variously estimated at from 15 million to 50 million. 
we may not dwell upon the horrors of such things the hideous cannibalism that has at times resulted as when we are told that during one famine in egypt in the dark ages human flesh was openly sold in the markets a terrible scourge that frequently visited the old world in the middle and dark ages is that known as the black death as to its real character and source the world is yet in ignorance whether it was readily conveyed in the atmosphere or not seems a mooted point modern medical science has robbed many contagious diseases of their terrors smallpox is easily guarded against diphtheria has no terrors for clean streets yellow jack has little chance against sound sanitation and hygiene the germ theory of disease has greatly aided disinfective measures in contagious diseases infection proceeds chiefly from personal contact with a diseased person or objects that have been touched by him in malarial diseases there is no danger from personal contact the disease resulting clearly from a poisoned atmosphere but in the case of what are known as epidemics the source of infection is not clear the disease may attack thousands in a short time and yet not appear readily communicable by personal contact doubtless in these cases the atmosphere is the medium of infection hence disinfective measures are of little or no use against them so while such cannot properly be classed among atmospheric phenomena yet it would seem that in the atmosphere we find the chief vehicle of the disease we may not here undertake any discussion of the several deadly contagious diseases that are known to modern medicine suffice it to say nearly all of them may be classed as filth diseases arising from impure food or water or filthy streets most notable of these is perhaps the terrible asiatic cholera that has swept europe frequently and which is now known to originate in the overcrowding and filth attendant upon the great twelve yearly festival in honor of a hindu idol had the people of the middle ages who regarded its ravages as a visitation of god upon them for their sins been aware of its origin they might have been disposed to wonder why they should be punished for the idolatry of a people thousands of miles away possibly such reflections might have originated either a new species of crusade or have opened the missionary movement several centuries earlier than it really began comparatively speaking there is little mystery left in connection with the greater contagious plagues known to modern medicine but the famous black death or plague or the pestilence as it was variously called remains a secret so far as its origin and its proper treatment are concerned its symptoms are somewhat variously described by various ancient writers in one point all agree that when near death the body of the victim was covered with dark gangrenous or carbuncular spots and swellings or boils made their appearance in the glands of the neck armpit and groin it may be that the plague of boils and blains sent upon the egyptians was none other than this black death and doubtless it is identical with the terrible plague that visited athens b c four thirty continuing its ravages through three years people died in swarms and the dead lay about on the streets during the middle ages it appeared in europe on an average every fifty years its last visitation being upon london in sixteen sixty five when one hundred thousand people perished here its danger was increased by the fact that its character was more insidious than usual the plague described by thucydides was characterized by high fever and unquenchable thirst and a reddish inflammation or eruption of the skin lasting seven or eight days before the appearance of the fatal spots 
while from defoe's account of the plague in london these symptoms though common were anything but universal and frequently persons felt no special disorder till the appearance of the spots told that death was at hand both in athens and london contact with dead bodies seems to have been fatal to any animal the suddenness of death in many cases calls to mind the last plague of egypt or the fate of sennacherib's host like the leaves of the forest when summer is green that host with their banners at sunset were seen like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown that host in the morning lay withered and strown for the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed and the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still and there lay the steed with his nostrils all wide but through them there rolled not the breath of his pride and the foam of his gasping lay white on the turf and cold as the spray of the rock-beating surf the horrors of the plague are beyond description the panic consequent upon the appearance of yellow jack in the south gives but a faint idea of it and this very panic was a most we have almost said the most powerful factor in the augmentation of the plague's fatality it is also the case with cholera that a disturbed condition of the mind is fatal in the mildest form of the disease some one has thus embodied the case though of course with exaggeration a traveller leaving baghdad met cholera entering for what are you come to slay ten thousand people each went on its way on returning the traveller met cholera once more but you killed thirty thousand nay friend i killed but ten thousand scare killed the rest occasionally this panic took a terrible form as when during a season of plague in germany the idea seized the people that the jews had occasioned the plague by poisoning the wells and jews were murdered tortured and burned by the hundreds which reminds one of a modern writer's sarcastic definition of hydrophobia a peculiar periodical madness impelling men to destroy dogs of the thousand tales of interest that have come down to us we may give place to one a story of florence this city had twenty-three visitations of the plague the first in thirteen twenty five the last in sixteen thirty the plague of thirteen thirty eight is the noted one described by boccaccio the story which we condense here is an incident of the plague of fourteen hundred among the noble families who were sworn foes were those of rondinelli and almieri and one might as soon have expected the lion to mate with the serpent as to hope for an alliance between the two families but cupid has never bothered his meddlesome pate with politics or theology and so it came about that as with montague and capulet antonio rondinelli fell in love with ginevra almieri one of the most beautiful women of the time certainly unsurpassed in florence of course signor almieri could not for a moment think of such a hateful match and so ginevra was given to francesco agolanti the young wife remained faithful but she gradually faded and in four short years sunk into a sort of lethargic stupor resulting in death the plague was then at its highest and the panic was great every death from uncertain cause was a source of alarm and burials were informal and hasty the poor young wife was promptly bundled off to the family vault beneath one of the great cathedrals it seems that it was merely a case of coma or suspended animation the lady revived only to find herself entombed with the skeletons of her husband's ancestors 
horrible as this would be for any one it is a wonder that the weak nerves of ginevra did not give way entirely under the strain she screamed and called only the dead heard she groped about her tomb and found a ladder clambering up she found a ray of moonlight streaming through a crevice and learned her location she looked abroad upon the moonlight loveliness all sunk in one unbroken silence save the moan from the lone room of death or the dull sound of the slow-moving hearse the homes of men were now all desolate and darkness there and solitude and silence took their seat in the deserted streets for the dark wing of a destroying angel had gone by and blasted all existence and had changed the gay the busy and the crowded mart to one cold speechless city of dead after desperate effort and with strength astounding in a frame so weak she forced up one of the paving stones that formed the roof of the vault and dragged herself out sitting wearily down for a brief rest a sudden shower came up and chilled her to the bone she rose and went to her husband's house he at a second-story window astounded at the ghostly figure in grave clothes that roused him in the dead hour of night when ghosts do mostly walk abroad and doubtless remembering that his treatment of the living wife had not been such as to recommend him to the favourable notice of her ghost shut the window with alternate imprecations and invocations and covered his head with the bedclothes well known in all ages to be thoroughly ghost-proof ginevra was similarly repulsed from the houses of her father and of various relatives as a last resort though exceedingly repugnant to a woman of her delicate feeling she betook herself almost chilled to death to the house of rondinelli to his inquiry as to who was there a weak voice responded do you not know me signor antonio it is i ginevra neither my father nor my husband will receive me will you too turn me away great as was antonio's fear of ghosts the bare possibility that ginevra was actually there in the flesh was a far stronger consideration and he hastened to test the reality of his fair visitant having her properly cared for he hastened to the vault where the displaced stone confirmed her story a few days later antonio boldly applied to the civil authorities to marry the late ginevra degli agolanti and backed his application with certificates of the death and burial of the lady the authorities hearing the facts and mayhap being romantically disposed decided that the lady was legally dead that her relatives by their own unwilling confession had persisted in so regarding her hence she was no longer bound by any legal tie to the living father or husband she was absolutely free so antonio and ginevra were married and of course lived happily ever after end of chapter nineteen Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostess, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today.